our text this morning uh, as we continue to think about the, the church of Jesus. Verse 17 in chapter 13 of Hebrews, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Well, when you announce that kind of text, uh, there's usually a bit of detective work going on in the congregation. What is the minister getting at this morning when he's urging uh, submission to the leaders in the congregation? Uh, who has he fallen out with? Where has there been a bust up uh, in the congregation? Well, uh, I can assure you before we start that uh, things are uh, very hunky-dory and there's no uh, issue behind this other than the fact that as we look at the church, one of the key areas that we have to consider is the government of the church. And we can't think of how the church is governed without thinking of the wider uh, aspect of authority, where authority comes from, how it is to be responded to in the church of Jesus. John Stott, uh, the late John Stott, a uh, great evangelical leader, uh, wrote a book, Between Two Worlds, in which he wrote, Seldom, if ever, in its long history has the world witnessed such a self-conscious revolt against authority. Now, Stott wrote that back in 1982. And if that was true of the world in 1982, it's even more true of the world uh, in our day, whatever that is, 30 uh, 36 years later on. Uh, there's very much a rejection of authority, uh, a turn to the individual, an assertion of rights and entitlement. But if authority figures are open to corruption, and they are, and the abuse of power can be really damaging, and it can be, and certainly very damaging within the church, nonetheless, the, the Christian counterculture, which is the church, must be a, a beacon, must be a, a city set on a hill in regard to how uh, Christians respect authority and also how those in authority in the church wield authority in a manner which is like Christ, which is a contrast with the way that power is very often wielded in the world. In other words, within the church, it is not exploitative. It is not reliant on the possession of crude power, but reliant rather on the power of moral, moral goodness. The verse <coughs> addressed to the Hebrew Christians uh, has a number of implications which are embedded within the verse. Uh, as to how the church is to be governed and how Christians are to relate to authority in the family of God. Uh, first of all, there is a truth that's implied in the verse and which we find elsewhere, that uh, true authority derives from God. Authority in the church is the authority of the Lord ruling in his church. Secondly, the delivery of authority 
has got three distinctives. It's delivered uh, with a plurality. There's not one leader ruling over everyone. There's a plurality of leaders or elders. That the style is one of the servant, and also uh, it reflects the moral uh, character of the leadership. And thirdly, there's a godly response to leadership. So uh, rulers within the church have to rule in a Christ-like way, and people within the church are to submit uh, to leadership, indeed to submit to one another, and there are advantages, there are blessings which come from godly submission and obedience. So we're looking essentially this morning at the source of authority in the church, how the authority is delivered, and the response to that authority. The source of authority in the church is Jesus Christ. Jesus is king and head of his church. And so the writer to the Hebrews can tell the people to submit to their leaders, to obey their leaders, and at the same time can tell the people that these leaders must give an account to the Lord. Their authority is not ultimate. Their authority is only one which is mediated through them. Jesus is king. And Jesus rules in his church through his word. So in other words, uh, leaders in the church don't have authority to rule uh, because of a certain background, because of a standing in the community. They don't have authority because they've studied theology or they know Greek and Hebrew, although for a teaching uh, leader, these are the things which uh, go for competence. But the authority is, so far as they are exercising the rule of Christ through his word in the church. The one true leader in the church is Jesus. And so Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians, tells them that Christ has been given dominion over the church by his triumph in the cross and resurrection. He says, God the Father raised Christ from the dead and raised him, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every other title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus rules. Jesus is king in his church. And it's interesting when, when Paul, a leader of the early church, has his authority as a leader challenged, uh, and of course the we know from our studies in Corinth that it was the Corinthians that were uh, worse in this regard. They were continually challenging Paul's authority. Paul responds by pointing away from himself to Christ uh, and reminding them that his authority comes because he uh, is a bearer of the word, of the mystery of, of the word of God. So then, he says, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those who are trusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. 
My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges. So, uh, Paul's authority is because he's a servant of Christ. He's trusted with the secret things of God. In other words, he's a, a servant of the Word. And it is Christ ruling through his Word that is the source of authority in the church. One wise minister once uh, commented to uh, an, a newly ordained minister, reminding him that a minister is servant of the church. But the church is not his master. Jesus is his master. Servant leaders then have authority that comes from Christ's word. It's to Christ they must give an account. But that leadership, that headship of Christ, uh, gives authority to those uh, whom he has called to rule within his church on earth. And in practical terms, that means that the leaders make decisions and give direction. One of the decisions that leaders make is who is in the church? Who are members of the visible church of Christ? In other words, uh, decisions in regard to church membership. When Peter confesses that, that, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus goes on to speak of the authority that will be given, uh, not just to Peter, but all leaders within the church that are represented uh, now in him and his confession of Jesus. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus is saying, I have authority, and I am giving this to you, mediating my authority through you. And one aspect of that is binding and loosing. Ratifying uh, God's rule on earth by defining the membership of his church. Authority then comes from Christ. Authority is Christ's authority. The second thing is a, a very practical uh, question. How is it exercised? How is it delivered in the church? Uh, it's one thing to say Christ is the ultimate authority, but how are the decisions that affect all of us to be delivered? What is the biblical way to deliver the, the kind of, of questions that we're interested in? The, the kind of practical down-to-earth question. How often do we have communion? How do we deal with broken relationships? Who should preach uh, next Sunday or the Sunday after that? When do we next have a church dinner? These vitally important decisions, which are actually very important to us at a practical level. How are they worked out, these bread and butter decisions? Now, you might think, well, this whole business of the government of the church, it's not that important, is it? It's not that important compared to the, the, the deeper, more fundamental doctrine. And you'd be right, it's not as important as the divinity of Jesus or justification by faith. But friends, if we're honest about it, the issues by, on over which Christians split, go their separate ways, decide they're going to head off to another church, tend to be over uh, the governing or rather non-governing of the church. So things happen with which people disagree with 
uh, violently, they fall out and they head off somewhere else. So, in practical terms, the manner of governing the church is very important. And really, there are only three options which are open to us as to how the church is given, governed. Now, there are, there are clearly, there are variations on each one, but essentially, uh, it boils down to three ways in which the church can be governed. There is uh, episcopacy or episcopalianism, which is rule by bishop, and that is a, a kind of monarchical kind of way of governing. So one man can govern those under him, whether they're members or other elders or even other bishops. Uh, this man in Episcopalianism doesn't need to be chosen from amongst the people. He can be chosen by a higher agency. So you have authority in, in, a, in the top, which filters down to those below. So it's a hierarchical way of governing. Now the problem with Episcopalianism is that it ignores the, the biblical principle that leadership is plural. Obey your leaders, not obey your leader. Obey your leaders. The writer is envisaging a group, a bunch of leaders over the church. And John Stott, the late John Stott, uh, we've already quoted, and remember he was an Anglican, uh, therefore an Episcopalian, but acknowledges that the different words that we have for leader in the New Testament, which would be uh, presbyter, overseer, bishop, presbyter or elder, they all mean the same thing. They are just different words used in different contexts for the same office. So there is no basis for a pecking order in the church. You have two offices, elder and deacon. And the New Testament always assumes that leadership in the church will be plural. And the danger, of course, with an Episcopalian form of government is that you can have a bishop who will lord it over the congregation because he has a power vested in himself. So that's one option. Congregationalism is, an, is another option, or independency. And this is the rule of the church by every member and the independence of every congregation from all others. So, authority now rests in the many at the bottom. So Episcopalianism, it's the top down. Congregationalism, it's authority from the bottom going up. And technically speaking, for any given decision that the church may make, Every member within the congregation has the same authority as every other. Uh, ruling boards, if you have them, are simply a, a convenience, an, an administrative convenience, and the decisions that a board makes can be overturned by congregational meeting. No individual congregation is subject to uh, oversight or jurisdiction from outside. So you may have an independent church, which is part of, say, the Baptist Union, or the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, but they don't, in fact, have a, you know, accountability control over these independent congregations. Now, with the independency, the danger is 
the reverse. It's the opposite to Episcopalianism. The, the danger is that the, the congregation will rule it over the minister. Uh, the, the minister is hired and fired by the congregation. His tenure is, if you like, at the whim of the congregation. And it's the congregation in its meetings which guide the church. And that's why it's quite interesting that a number of churches which are independent don't have elders at all. I know quite a number of, of churches in this category which just have deacons. And practically speaking, that's acknowledging that there's no need for elders if everybody is, in effect, an elder. Presbyterianism, uh, which is really the, the only uh, option left, is the rule of the church by multiple elected elders. So these elders are chosen by the people from amongst themselves, and they are elected to, to rule, to have authority in the church. In Presbyterianism, the minister is one elder amongst others. So the minister, or sometimes ministers, is a teaching elder, and along with the others who are ruling elders. And individual congregations join in presbytery, and at general assembly level, and the idea then is that there's mutual encouragement and accountability so that a presbytery will have oversight of another congregation. For example, in the coming presbytery meeting, we'll hear the report of the visit of presbytery to Darwin Vale Free Church Congregation. And the report will hopefully give encouragement to them and help them in their, their mission and worship. The minister of the congregation isn't accountable to the congregation, it's not accountable to the Kirk session, but ultimately to the presbytery. Now, you would expect me uh, to say that Presbyterianism is the truest form of church government, and I'm not going to disappoint you. <laughs> uh, I believe it is, and in, in my, uh, my vows I've declared that it is uh, a biblical form of church government. But here we have, in Presbyterianism, the, the clear Bible principle of a plurality of elders, governing uh, not by one, but by several elders. It's Presbyterianism which will best guard the abuse of power, either by a hierarchy of bishops or the whim of a congregation as an independency. And at its best, uh, the, the form of government that we have in our church, Presbyterianism, gives us a connectionalism so that we're connected up with other congregations for mutual encouragement. Uh, we're able to think strategically about the, the mission that lies within our presbytery bounds. And we have a, a, a concern for oversight for the well-being of those who are, who are in paid employment of the church, for the direction of individual congregations, for the support of the weak by the strong. All of these are strengths of Presbyterianism. And our, our danger, of course, and what we always have to, to guard against is being uh, over-bureaucratic because of the layers of, of government so that uh, God's servant's time is taken up uh, with these things. But... 
And within our own church, certainly right now, the vision is to see the meetings of our church courts become more and more gospel-driven, less business-driven, to have more of a family feel, and to have more of an emphasis on the equipping of the saints for acts of service. So these are the, 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 the three possible forms of delivering leadership, but the style of leadership is important, and the pattern for all of us. And it's interesting that, that each one of us, uh, at a certain level, will exercise leadership. Uh, if you're at an age of Christian, you'll have leadership over someone who's younger, in the sense that you may uh, be discipling him or her, helping them in the faith. If you're in the Sunday school, you'll have a leadership uh, over the children, and so on. And the pattern of leadership in the church is, of course, Jesus. His leadership is that of a servant. He is the servant king. Uh, it is self-sacrificial. So that his eye is always on the, the benefit and the welfare of those in his care. Jesus said of, of the, the style of leadership in his church, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not, at the, one who, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is saying, that's your pattern. The pattern is of the servant. The style is of the one who washes the feet of his disciples. This is how you lead in my church. We come with Christ's authority and also uh, with the authority of a godly life. He should be beyond reproach. It's interesting when you look at the, the qualifications of elders and deacons, which we will look at, uh, God willing, uh, later in the year, uh, we'll see that the primary concern is character. There's Comparatively little said about gifting, but a lot said about character. No matter how gifted a leader in the church is, if his private life is not one of godliness, his authority will be undermined. So the importance of character. Finally, what about the response that we make to authority? We've already said that uh, the world at large, the secular world, is prickly about authority. It rejects authority. It kicks back at the idea of anyone uh, being in a leadership position. Glad submission in the church, the writer says, is good for us. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, if you obey your leaders so that their work's a joy, you're going to benefit. It will be good for you. It will be advantageous. It means that you will be blessed. The world doesn't think that, but the Bible teaches it. And it's true in practice. And it will be good for you, first of all, because submitting to authority is at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Or put it the other way, anarchy is at the heart of sin. 
Sin means that we respond to the sinner, the one who's always against authority, uh, Satan. Satan, who originally said, did God really say, and pushes Adam and Eve to rebellion. The Christian, on the other heart, defaults to submission. That's our natural base. It's a natural uh, heart for the Christian. We've learned to respect God's rule over us. And at every level, the Christian learns to honour those who are in a position of leadership. We're taught to honour our father and mother. We're to show respect to authority within the home. And the, the fifth commandment is singled out as being the commandment with promise. So that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Therefore, we ought to bring up our children to respect authority. You know, it's a serious thing if children are defiant. If we allow our children to be defiant, to express attitudes of rebellion, we are stirring up trouble for the future. That is an anti-Christian spirit. We need to instill in them a proper respect for authority, not least uh, to obey the fifth commandment, but to respect all levels of authority within Christ's family. Discipleship is about obedience. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, uh, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what? Teaching them stuff that fills their head, teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded you. Being a disciple is about learning to be obedient. So, obedience is at the heart of the Christian life. Uh, also, we're to submit to authority because those we obey, are working, the writer says, for your advantage. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. They keep watch over you. When you, when you hear that expression, uh, it should trigger uh, memories of other parts of the Bible where we find it. Keeping watch over. Uh, that was the shepherds, wasn't it? Uh, when Christ came to, 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 to be born in Bethlehem, uh, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. Uh, and so that's a very powerful picture of what leaders in the church are about. They're keeping watch over the flock. They're on the lookout for things that would creep into the church and would disturb the, the well-being of Christians. You know, wrong doctrine, false ideas, wrong attitudes, broken relationships, apathy, indifference. They're to keep watch. Hugh Latimer uh, was one of the English uh, reformers at the time of the Reformation. And when he was commenting on the, the passage in Luke 2 that, that has this phrase, he applied it immediately to the, the duty of, of ministers. Now, he says, now, these shepherds, I say, they watch the whole night. They attend upon their vocation. They do according to their calling. They keep their sheep. They run not hither and thither, spending the time in vain and neglecting their offices and calling. I would wish that clergymen, the curates, parsons and vicars, and all other spiritual persons would learn this lesson by these poor shepherds, which is to abide by their flocks and by their sheep to tarry amongst them and be careful over them, not to run hither and thither against, uh, after their own pleasures, but to tarry by their benefices and feed their sheep with the good of 
God's word. So leaders are like shepherds watching over the flock. And of course the other echo is from the prophets where uh, we have the picture of a watchman. A watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. Looking out for the approach of the enemy. And it's again has a similar idea. The elders of the church are to protect the people in their care from spiritual harm. So it's good to submit gladly to authority within the church, to properly uh, held biblical authority in Christ's name. If you withhold glad obedience to this rule, we're warned it will be of no advantage to you. Then lastly, it'll be good, because when we do that, the example we're following is the example of Jesus, who did joyfully and gladly submit to his Father's authority. Remember, at one, one point, Jesus is describing his calling to his disciples, and he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's how Jesus describes his ministry. It's not to do what I want, not to do my own will, not to do my own pleasure, but it's to do the will of the Father who sent me. And Jesus later uh, describes his joy in doing this. It's not burdensome, he says, for me to do this. John 4, verse 34, uh, Jesus says that uh, it is food and drink to obey his Father. In other words, he's saying, I love what my Father has called me to do. I love to give him glad obedience. Uh, to obey the Father is like having a, a seven-course meal spread out before me. It's something which is sumptuous, something which I delight in doing. And that's what we're called to do, to follow Jesus in yielding glad submission, whether it's as children in the home, or uh, as adults to authorities, or to the leaders of Christ's church. If we, obey, if we obey our leaders within the church, the writer says, there will be joy circulating. It's a lovely idea, isn't it? To, to circulate joy. That the leaders will do their joy, their work joyfully, and it will be to the advantage of the whole. Joy will follow joy. Obey them. So their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Amen. May God bless to us the preaching of his word.